0: There are a few sermon topics that kind of strike fear into the hearts of the the listeners, of the congregation. One might be evangelism, talking to people about Jesus. One might be giving, like being generous with, especially with our money. You know, we hear these topics and beads of sweat begin forming on our foreheads. When we hear these topics, we know we might only hear that we're not good enough, that we're not doing enough, and shame on you for not being the perfect person that you ought to be. Another one of these topics, I think, along with kind of evangelism and giving, another one of these topics is prayer, because I don't think I've known anyone who has ever been like, yeah, my prayer life is actually pretty good. Maybe we should go on to another topic. Well, hopefully some of you do feel that way. I know I don't. and so like I'm, I'm just like everybody else, a work in progress. But I imagine when there's a sermon on prayer, it would be difficult to hear any other message other than you are not doing enough, you are a horrible Christian. And also, if you're not a believer, looking into this, you're kind of like, why would I ever do that? It just sounds like a bunch of shame and guilt getting involved. But then there might also be some of you who are interested in knowing more about prayer. Maybe praying to God is like something kind of a new thing, like you actually praying to God. Maybe that's something you don't do very often or maybe you haven't done yet. and it's Or maybe it's just something that you kind of don't really understand or kind of haven't really wrapped your mind around it yet. Well, I hope this message will be helpful for everyone, regardless of where you are on the shame spectrum or on the knowledge spectrum, how much you do, how much you don't get it. But let's just first address the not doing enough thing first. Maybe you're not praying as often as you should. And maybe the quality of your prayers are shallow. And maybe your prayers are kind of lame. Maybe you don't really get what prayer is all about. This is all okay as a starting point. Okay? L- let's just be honest with ourselves and own those realities. Like, let's just say that's a reality and, I, and, I'll, and I'll own it. It's okay to start there. Just own the fact we may not be doing enough. I mean, as Redeemer, are we a praying church? I know that we pray. I know some people um, pray more than others, and that's going to be true of every church, but would we define our church as a praying church, as a house of prayer? I don't think we're really near that yet. I think we have a long way to go in that, which is one reason why I'm picking this for us to speak on uh, and and learn through this morning. I think we have a long way to go if we truly want to be a praying church. I would love to be a praying church. I would love for Redeemer to be known as a house of prayer, but we're not there yet. And that's okay, because God knows kind of how far away we are more than than we do. And He's not going to call us to a level of perfection immediately. He's going to give us the next kind of small steps. Where are, where are we now, and where are the next small steps to grow, so that we might be, um, so that we might have a dynamic prayer life, or that Redeemer might be a praying church. I think God is happy to show us the next step, and we should be happy to obey just that next step. We don't have to worry about the ten after that or the hundred after that. Just whatever is that next step. So, let's come to the topic of prayer with patience and with humility, and with grace for ourselves. God has given us grace, why are we not giving ourselves grace? God's grace is more than enough to make up for any lack that you might have in your life. And that same grace also calls us to more. It doesn't allow us to stay the same, it changes us and it calls us to more. So prayer is where we encounter God, where we experience His presence. It's a relational act. And God wants us to experience more of who He is. So, in our weakness, we look to Him for strength. So, let's all start on the same level and let's all just kind of say, you know what? We're all a little bit weak when it comes to prayer. God, please, won't you help us? We need you to work through us. Now, we only have this kind of one sermon, particular sermon on prayer right now. uh, And so, we're going to narrow down the focus a little bit. So, here's what we're going to be talking about today two things. Two things. First, to uh, persist in praying, and secondly, to presume God is at work. To persist and presume. Persist in praying and to presume that God is at work. But before we even get there, let's just kind of back up. Let's start at the beginning. Kind of ask, what really is prayer? And let's not assume that we get it or that we all know it. Some of you might know that you don't get it, and some of you think you get it, but you really don't. Prayer is just talking to God. It's a very simple thing. Just talking to God. God doesn't require big words. God doesn't require a theological vocabulary. God doesn't require a, a kind of sweeping, broad statement. God doesn't require us to talk like this when we're talking to him all the time and adding extra syllables at the end of sentences. He doesn't require you to have something well-formulated. Think of your best friend whoever you care about the most, whoever cares about you the most, someone you've known for a long time and, and has known you for a long time, do you construct kind of long monologues? I mean, there might be times where you want to talk about something that is, is really important and you might think about that ahead of time and kind of think about it in your head, maybe even write some things down, but generally the majority of your conversations are just that, conversational, relational, they kind of go back and forth and you're just kind of talking to them about how your day is going, and you're listening to them and what they're saying to you. Now, if that's how someone who's a human, uh, how, how you can act with that kind of freedom, if that's the kind of freedom you can act with someone who's a human, imagine the kind of freedom that we're given with a perfect God. That human, regardless of how good they are, is not perfect, and is also finite. God is perfect is infinite and has an infinite amount of love, has an infinite amount of time to spend with you, and has so many things to tell you. So if that's the kind of freedom we can have with a human person, imagine the kind of freedom we ought to have with God, the kind of freedom we really can have with God. This makes prayer a little bit more, less of a, of a duty and, and more of a uh, an enjoyable relationship. So if prayer feels overwhelming, And maybe it does for a lot of you. I think that's fine for it to feel overwhelming, but just kind of maybe take a step back and think of it as this. You're talking to the person, God, who loves you more than anyone else in this world and who cares about you more than anyone else in this world. You're just talking to that person. So... A little bit, that was a little bit on what prayer is. Let's get to the first point, persist in praying. Now, we're going to look at loads of Bible verses today. I'm going to put them on the screen so you can, and maybe you can take notes down, the references down, so you can look at them later. Normally, what we do as a church is we take kind of a smaller section of scripture and we go deep. Uh, And we we get to look at the context because we go through books, we go through and we get to see what what did the author intend, what what did the original audience get out of this first. Now what we're doing today is something a little bit different. We're going to look at larger selections of scripture and getting a bit of more of a broader view. So it's more of like the 30,000 foot kind of height view. So get ready maybe take some notes, write these verses down, make some notes in your phone or whatever. Maybe even go back through this message and see how some of these particular verses might be connected to your life. So the Bible, as you would expect, says many things about prayer. And one of them is that it should be an ongoing, active activity. This is where we're getting the persist kind of thing. It's ongoing, it's active, it's a continual thing. Romans 12.12 12 says, Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. To be faithful in prayer, we'll talk about that verse in a moment. Colossians four two, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. One Th- one Thessalonians one two. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Ephesians six eighteen, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This isn't just something that we do once. And if God's lucky, he gets five minutes of us in the morning. This is something that God wants us to, to enter into often throughout the day. Now, it might be helpful, as it is for me, for you to think of prayer less of like an activity or an event or like a, um, a project and more of like a practice. Prayer is a practice. A practice isn't so much something you get good at, though over time you do, but really it, what it is, is, it's just something that you do. Practice is something that you just do. The more you practice, the better you practice. Uh, and well, there's advantages if you have good practices. So athletes who are devoted to practice in the off season are the ones best prepared for the intensity of game time practicing the piano well will allow you to perform well when you are under pressure when other people are looking at you but nobody praises someone for being a good practicer i guess you could say practitioner but even that has some level of professionalism to it just someone who practices well you don't really get good at that you don't get praised for that prayer is all about the practice and i hope maybe that could be a freeing thing because it tells us anybody can do it anybody can practice the piano anybody can no one has to even hear it. Really, anybody should do it. It's a wide-open invitation, prayer, is a wide-open invitation to experience God. And so let's look at how some of those verses that we just mentioned, how what it means to persist in prayer. So first, persisting in prayer is devoting yourself to it. Romans 12.12 12 that we mentioned earlier, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful to prayer. We're going to look at what, that word faithful. It means devoted. To attach yourself to something, to be kind of busily engaged in, not kind of passively, but ongoing, and to focus on. I mean, worship really is kind of what we give our attention to, what we focus on, and it also has this idea of of a labor, like there's a perseverance action, an endurance kind of action. You don't have to persevere or endure easy things. <laughs> You have to persevere and endure through hard things, through difficult things. Sometimes prayer will feel like a labor. It's not gonna come easy and flow and kind of be like these spiritual beings kind of floating in the air. Sometimes it's work. Prayer often is work. Another verse that we mentioned was Colossians 4.2. It says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourself. That same word, devote, there is the same word in Romans 12, 12 as being faithful. Again, it's that same kind of thing. Prayer is an activity of watchfulness. Activity of watchfulness, being attentive, being alert, first to yourself and your own heart, which is kind of what we overlook first, if we're honest, and then to others, uh, and then to our city and to larger things. It's like when you're angry, when you find something difficult, bringing yourself in humility before God and talking to Him instead of doing whatever else we would do first. See, prayer is an activity of thankfulness. When things go well, we bring that to God as well. And we say, thank you for that. So persisting in prayer is devoting yourself to it. Persisting in prayer is an ongoing, continual practice. Another verse uh, that we mentioned earlier was 1 Thessalonians 1.2. We always always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in all our prayers. We always, we continually do this. Ephesians 6:18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 1 Thessalonians 5:17, very simple, pray continually or pray without ceasing. Our goal is not just to have times of prayer but to have lives of prayer we don't want to just have separate times of praying we want to have lives of prayer not just to have times of prayer but lives of prayer. this makes a lot of sense actually this can really only make sense if god is a person if he's a being if he's a thing we'll make time for him kind of put him somewhere or if he's an idea we'll maybe like put him somewhere so but he's a person that changes things capital p kind of person if we're in a relationship with him we we say we are we say christianity is about a relationship but often our lives look like christianity is more like a transaction i do this and expect good things if i give if i sacrifice good things and i get good things i mean it's kind of like if you were in a good marriage you wouldn't hear one hear somebody saying oh just haven't talked to them in a a month if they were living with you, you wouldn't say that. that that's not the definition of a good marriage. Or you, or you also wouldn't say, oh, I talked with them, you know, I talked with my partner a, a couple minutes this morning. I don't really need to talk to him anymore, right? Like, that's not really a definition of a good marriage. Like, maybe red flags would be going up. No, it's something you want to do if you're in a good marriage. You want to talk to your partner. It's not something you have to do. It's something that you get to do. I cannot wait to talk with this person because what, what, how's her day been? What's, what's, uh, what, what, what's he thinking? What are they going to be? What, what, what are we going to do? Throughout the day, Christina texts me, and I text her back. When I see her, I say, hi, how was your day? And I listen. She also sends me Instagram messages that I rarely check, but that's because I'm finite. God is infinite. There's never a time where God doesn't have time for you. There's a lot of negatives in that sentence. How about this? God always has time for you. Always. You're never bothering Him. You're never bugging Him. He's always there with you. And that means, if He is always there with you, that means not praying is ignoring His presence. Not praying is ignoring God's presence. Pretending He's not there. Or or if He is, if He is there, He's really not much good to you. When we recognize that prayer is talking to God, we can pray without some kind of grand end game in mind. It could just be a brief, thanks, or a, help, that could be it, you don't have to even say it out loud. Persisting in prayer is devoting yourself to it. It is also an ongoing, continual practice. Now, prayer being practice means that prayer takes time. Prayer itself takes time. and. The practice of prayer itself takes time. It's part of dying to self and rising with God over and over and over again, daily, multiple times a day. And this can be really difficult. No wonder we all avoid it because none of us really wants to die to ourselves. We want to keep ourselves and also add God on. But God is not going to let us act in that kind of shallow way. So if learning how to play the piano takes time and lots of time stumbling through, making mistakes, think of that applied to prayer. Maybe we're so afraid of making mistakes, we don't actually practice. We don't actually pray out loud. We're afraid to pray in front of other people, because, oh, what if I make a mistake? Like, well, you are, and that's okay. The, what's worse is you not praying. You will stumble through it, but only, only if you persist. You, you won't have to stumble through something you don't try. But prayer takes time. Now, we live in a world that doesn't readily value long-term things. We want instant results. And this photo of a monk who, a monk's feet, he's prayed in the same spot for decades. Decades. The dent made in the wood from his bare feet is a testament to the power of a practice over time. Think of what the effect on you, individually, and on us as a church, together, would be if we persisted in prayer over decades. Our bare feet could even wear away the floor that we stand on. Think of how the hard portions of our hearts would wear away. Think of the dent we could make in Charlton, in Manchester. If we were to grow more towards being a people who pray, who persist more in the practice of talking to God, we would be transformed. Think of how that would change us even more than just this piece of wood. Many of us, all of us, know we should pray, but we don't. So we have this kind of nagging guilt, right? Hence the trepidation of talking about it or even like practicing it in front of others. But often, we really don't do anything about it. We And if we did, our prayer lives would change. But we, I, I, I guarantee, well, I'm willing to bet, that most of us feel like our prayer lives kind of really haven't changed over time, or at least not changed as much as we would like them to. Because it's really, really difficult. We already talked about how it can be labor. Why is this so difficult? And the answer is easy. You're in the middle of a war. You're in the middle of a war. If we're in a war, we ought to expect wartime situations, wartime circumstances, and we ought to act like it. 1 Peter 4.7 says this, Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Being alert, being in control of yourself, that's what it means to be of sober mindedness, is a necessity so that we would pray. And he's not saying pray so that you be alert and sober minded, he's saying be alert and sober minded so that you would pray, do you see that? Prayer isn't just an intermediate goal. That's not just like a means to an end. We pray for something else. But here in this verse, it is the goal, it is the thing to do. To be in control of ourselves and to be alert means, that that opens a possibility for us to be able to pray and to, to pray well. Now, we should persist, but we don't because we presume God is not working. Or if He is, He's not working through us. And prayer really gets to the heart of this prayer gets to the heart of God is at work through you. If we don't pray, we think, well, God isn't working, maybe, and so that means I must work. Like prayer is kind of something I do. Uh, can't, can't I do anything more than pray for something? We think like prayer is like a second tier like, method of help. God isn't working, so I must work, and or God isn't working through me. So it doesn't really matter if I pray because, you know, someone else will or someone else who's like, better than me will probably take care of that. So here's our second point. Presume that God is at work. Presume that God is at work. We've got to tackle those two things. So we persist in prayer and presume that God's at work. Here's the thing. Prayer actually does stuff. That's crazy. Do we believe that? Prayer actually works. Prayer actually does stuff. God works, and He works through your prayers. Not just my prayers. Not just some other kind of person who you hold up on a pedestal really probably isn't as high as you think. He works through your prayers. Everyone is listening to this. Let's continue some verses that we brought up from the previous point. Colossians 4. So we we read 4-2. Now we're going to continue and read through verse 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Okay, we heard that. Here's the next step. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay? Here's... Uh, Ephesians 6,18 through 20, which we've we've read Ephesians 6 uh, already. And pray in the spirit and all kinds or on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. We got that. Here's the next part of that verse. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul here. You cannot think of a more rock star of faith, a more kind of evangelistic, a more kind of bold, a more kind of crazy, out there, obedient Christian the apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. That's something nobody else can say. He's like a master, right? He's like Yoda or whatever kind of like master, you know, master guy. <laughs> I don't know. Words escape me. But what is he doing here? He is asking the church at Colossae and Ephesus, those two kind of verses that we just read, he is asking the people at those churches to pray for him, that he might speak about the gospel in the way that Jesus has told us to, boldly, fearlessly, with love. He's basically saying, you pray so that I can do this. The other side of that is, you don't pray, I can't expect to do this. Paul needs prayer. If Paul needs prayer, I need prayer, you need prayer, we all need prayer. Now prayer is asking God to work and God works through His people. And for reasons only known to God, he has chosen to work through the church to make himself known, not just some kind of generic kind of universal church, the specific local church over and over and over in the Bible. it's what we see. Anything else is some kind of like figment of our imagination, not just in the end action. Does God work? He also works. Uh, like so, the end action would be like talking about the gospel, um, but it, but God also works in the means as well—the how we get there parts as well. People prayed so that Paul could speak. Now this is true of our church for Redeemer. People have prayed and are praying, and many of them in America that you will never meet or ever like hear about, so that Redeemer could be planted with prayer. We are confronted with two lies that we're tempted to believe. The first lie, God isn't working. He doesn't really work. This world does fine without him and we have all that we need as long as I get my paycheck or whatever the thing might be. Now, maybe on the outside you won't say that, especially if you're like a good Christian, you're not going to say that because you're going to use religious language to cover it up. But if you look at your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, where you go when things are difficult, you probably believe this lie more than you're comfortable with. You probably believe that God really isn't isn't at work a little bit more than you think. Now, if we believed God was working and working in all areas of our lives, that would mean we would have dynamic prayer lives. So our prayer life is kind of one-to-one connected with how much do we really think God is working in our world, if you have a very small and kind of lame prayer life, probably don't really believe that God's working in this world. If you have a robust and dynamic prayer life, you probably get a little bit more that God is working in this world. So that's lie number one, God isn't working. Lie number two, God doesn't need me. He'll do it anyway. He'll find somebody better than me, right? Why should we presume that? You know, th- There is a version of Christianity a non-biblical version called hyper-Calvinism. It basically says, you don't need to do anything because God is sovereign. He's just going to do what he wants anyway. And it fails to see how God is sovereign in the means. And of course, it relieves us of actually being responsible for what God's called us to do. So it's a very easy thing to kind of fall into because it, on the front of it, it seems like you're believing that God's powerful, but really what you're saying is, I'm just going to you know, not do the things that God calls me to do. God is in control of the ends and the means. And it could be that if you don't pray. It could be. If you don't pray for something, that it won't happen. At the least, we shouldn't expect any kind of change if we don't pray. At the least, that's what we should. We should not expect any kind of change if we don't pray. And this is what James is on about in James 5.16, where he says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you follow Jesus, you are a righteous person because of what Jesus has already done for you. That means your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are effective. Effective means it enacts change. There's some kind of effect on something. So if we don't pray, We're losing out on the power that God has to work in this world, and we're not changing anything. Now, of course, none of this means that we will always get what we want. None of this means that we should just have to try harder and pray harder, and we're going to get all the things. But this is for sure. If you don't pray, you should not expect change. If you don't pray, you should not expect change. If you don't pray, we shouldn't expect any kind of change in this world. Now, if I had a relationship with former President Barack Obama. Like we were friends and we hung out. We were like, you know, shooting baskets and I don't know, doing whatever ex-presidents do. And he says to me, Greg, I'm not gonna do an impersonation here. That, that would just be too shameful. He says, Greg, whatever you need help with, you know, just let me know. Like I, I, I would love to help you in any kind of area of your life. I wanna help you. I wanna help others through you. And a week goes by and I don't call him up because he's President Barack Obama. Barack Obama and I'm just, you know, some small little dude, but he's sending me texts. He's sending me emails. Hey, bro, what's the deal? You haven't called me. Like, do you not need any help in any area? Can I not help you with anything? Are there people that, is everybody that you know, like they don't need help either. I know you need help. I know others do need help. Give me a call. Give me a text. I want to help you. Now, first off, it would be really hard. I mean, that, that in general is hard to believe, but it would be really hard if Obama Said, why are you like you should call me up? That would be hard to believe, right? Like, surely he doesn't mean me. We, but once I get over that, and hopefully I would because I'm hearing his words over and over and over again, and I believe his words to mean that he's not actually lying to me. If that was true, it would be insane for me to not call him up. It would be insane for me to not ask for help. How could I afford not to? If you found out in Redeemer, that I had this direct line to Obama and I was, like, too afraid to use it or I just felt, like, awkward. I was like, I don't know, what are we going to talk about? Or maybe maybe he doesn't care about little old me. You all would be like, what are you doing? Go give Barack a call. Like, at at least see what he's doing. That's at least kind of interesting, right? Who else would have that kind of opportunity? We should take it, like, I, I should take advantage of that opportunity. How could I not, how could I squander that opportunity? So, of course... Eventually, hopefully, I would call him up. I I would call him every day if he let me. I would interact with him all the time if, if he had the time for that. How could I not take advantage of that? I'd let myself down as well as anyone else connected in my life. Of course, of course, the same is for us. If you had the Obama connection and didn't take hold of it, you see, it's more than just about you and your life. It's about your friends your neighbors, your work colleagues, your family. It's, if you're part of Redeemer, this is about your church. You, every single one of you, you have an integral part to play in God's mission. This isn't just the church, though it includes the church, but it's not just the church. I, I, I'm willing to bet you are more important to God's mission than you think. I believe that. I don't think any of us realize really how, how much kind of responsibility and, uh, and investment God has given us in his mission. Thinking we don't have a part to play. Thinking that we're, no, that's, that's for somebody else. What that does is that like kind of frees us from really jumping into what God's calling us to do. You no, know, I'm not like this person. Or I'm not like that person. So it doesn't really matter if I persist in praying like somebody else will. But it does matter If you persist in praying, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You aren't someone else. That's good, because we don't need someone else. We need you. You are who God has created you to be, and God has brought you here. God has brought you to this, watching this video even right now. And God has given you a part to play, a unique role in his mission, in his big story. It matters. So how about this question? If God was to say yes to every single one of your prayers this week, what would happen? If he said yes to every single one of your prayers, what would happen? Would anything really change? How many people would come to faith? Would churches be planted? Would cities be transformed? Or would it just be that the queue in the store would go a bit quicker? And that's the only thing that would change that week. Our lack... Of a a dynamic prayer life, our lack of time spent in it, our small, semi-believing prayers when we actually do it, shows us we don't think God is at work. And we don't think He works through us. But you are a necessary part of His church. You are a necessary part of Redeemer. You are a requirement for His mission. Part of the reason He rescued you was to save you from whatever kind of small mission you were off on, some small path off on by yourself, to, to be saved to His mission, His big mission. And there's a unique role that you get to play in that. Now, if you aren't aligned with God on His path in prayer, there are consequences, and not just for you. So, three things that I think could be helpful in our practice of prayer. Remember, we're going to call it more. Let's call it a practice. Uh, and these are stolen unashamedly, unabashedly from the Alpha Course. Uh, and and this is, there, there's a particular uh, section on prayer I found was was really good. And by the way, we are running an Alpha Course on 13. The 13th of January is when it begins. If you want to sign up for that, it's basically like 11 weeks of investigating the Christian faith, asking questions about it, and discovering more of how that might connect with your life. You can sign up at RedeemerMCR.com slash alpha. But in that prayer section of alpha, there's three really simple sentences that I have found helpful in my prayer life and maybe you will too. Keep it simple, keep it honest, and keep it going. Keep it simple, you don't need to make any kind of grand theological gestures. If you know larger, grander things about the Bible, that's great to bring to God. You don't have to. He's not asking you to you know, construct a Shakespearean soliloquy. So keep it simple, uh, simple with your life. Keep it honest. Talk to God about what is really going inside in your heart. He knows what's already going inside your heart. He knows the doubts, he knows the fears, he knows the excitements and the joys, but he wants you to talk to him about it because he wants a relationship with you. Just assuming that people are going to get things, that's not really a relationship. But talking about it, conversing, and saying, telling God where you are, where you need help, where you want to give him thanks. And lastly, keep it going. Keep it simple, keep it honest, keep it going. Just keep going. Just keep doing it. Keep praying. You can, you have, I, I know, all of you have more than enough time during the day. I don't care how busy you think your job is. I know you're able to, to even a one sentence prayer, God help me, please, you know, thank you, whatever the thing might be. Keep it simple, keep it honest, and keep it going. Now, the great thing about following Jesus is that when we find that we're off his path, and maybe some of this you're like, oh man, my prayer life is in shambles. This is horrible, where do I even begin? It's a very small step. And and that's actually the very first step is asking God what next. And once we find we're on our own path, asking God, oh please, God, I'm so sorry, I'm supposed to live this life of, of repentance, and I'm trying to do that now, Lord. And I want to repent on my prayer life. I want to kind of move off of um, this, my own path of thinking that I have things sorted out or thinking that I'm not really integral to your mission. I want to be more on your path. That's the first step, just talking to God about it, keeping it simple, keeping it honest, and let's keep it going. So the great thing, though, is when we find that we're off Jesus' path, He doesn't nag us. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't shame us into submission. He invites us. Following Jesus is a constant surrendering to the love that He has for us. He has so much love for us to experience, for us to see others experience. To get back on Jesus' path is to surrender to His love. Sometimes, uh, He puts difficult things in our path. And when those difficult things come along, we aren't alone. And we aren't just with other human beings either. We can be with Him. We can bring our needs to Him. We can bring our desires to Him. The more we pray, the more our souls are shaped into the image of Christ. The more we will pray for people to come to faith, the more we pray for more churches to be planted, the more we pray for Manchester to be transformed. When we pray, we aren't alone. We get to join Jesus' prayers for us. The last Bible verse we're going to look at here. Hebrews 7.25, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is always praying for those who come to God through him. We don't pray alone. He's with us. He helps us. And when we realize our prayer life is lacking, we can ask him to help us with that. We can pray about our prayer lives. But let's not miss the first part of that verse from Hebrews Therefore, he who is Jesus is able to save completely all those who come to God through him." Jesus is able, able to save us completely, including our prayer lives. We may persist in praying to the middle-class gods of comfort and money. We may presume that those gods will work for us, that they're going to save us, and even in that, Jesus is able to save us completely. His once-for-all work on the cross, His death, and His resurrection mean we can come to Him. After He died and resurrected, He ascended. And don't forget that part, that He ascended. He ascended into heaven where now He sits on a throne in power. All things are subjected to Him. He has all things under his feet. He has and he has chosen to work through his church. He has chosen to work through Redeemer, one of his churches. And that means you, and that means me. So will you take hold of the part that he wants you to pray, to play? Let's persist in praying, let's presume that God is at work. Let's see people come to faith. Let's see those who are in the faith come to a deeper knowledge of how much God loves them. Let's see that faith strengthened. Let's see churches planted. I'm not happy with just one church being planted. Nope, you shouldn't be either. It's like, what, 1% or 2% at best of people are connected to a gospel Center church in all of Manchester. Let's see Manchester filled. With other communities of light. Let's see the city thrive and a healthy gospel ecosystem of churches and ministries and believers in all areas of life. Let's see what a gospel-formed family on mission can really do when we persist in praying and we, when we presume that God is at work. Let me pray.